0: Um, I wanted to teach too much in too short of a time because I wanted to give, but then that was my mistake at the beginning teaching too fast. Um, because to me it was easy, so I assumed it's easy for everybody.
1: Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Hello, dear listeners. Hello, dear dancers. Welcome to a new episode of the Ballet Dance Life podcast. And today we have an amazing guest that I know many of you have been waiting for for a long time. Beata Sufiendes, born in Berlin, Beata started dancing at the age of six. Already as a child, she attended her weekly ballet lessons with great persistence. Her decision to interrupt medical studies as well as intensive three-year course at Berlin's Academy of Performing Arts, led her to discover oriental dance. She was fascinated by Arabic music when she heard the legendary singer Umm Sum. This was the start of a lifelong passion for oriental dancing. After serious research, studies and travels to the Middle East, Beata founded the first of its kind school of oriental dance in Berlin. She currently co-directs the dance academy Sifuentes in Bayer performs and teaches internationally and is an inspiration to dancers worldwide. In our today's conversation, we talked about the very beginning of her story, which was a fascinating story that you would not even believe that it's from real life. It's literally a script for a movie or something like that. We also talked about her special teaching approach and not only how she teaches right now, but also how it used to be in the beginning of her career and what kind of teaching mistakes she did in her classes. We also talked about incorporating elements of ballet and specifically ballet study. So not only about technique, but the structuring of class or how it was presented and how Beate incorporated it in her oriental classes. And I'm absolutely sure you will also love two other topics that we discussed. One was the love story of Beate and Horatio and how they met, how they got together. And also crazy, not even one story, but multiple stories about their collaboration with different music composers, because they produced and produced so many absolutely beautiful, marvelous CDs with fascinating, enchanting music, and I'm pretty sure many of you heard it, maybe not, you don't maybe know that it's from them, but you definitely heard at least some of the songs that they produced, and uh, Beata shared actually the process, the stories of the process of how that music comes to life, and that's kind of another script for another kind of movies, I would say. So our today's conversation is based a lot on different stories and different situations from all facets of belly life and uh, I truly believe that's a perfect fit for our podcast belly life podcast and since I have intrigued you already a lot I'm not gonna push to test your patience and on this note let's dive right into the episode. Hello dear Beata, I'm so happy to finally welcome you at the Valadance Life Live uh, podcast. I'm so excited and I'm pretty sure so many of our listeners also were waiting like when, when we will have an interview and conversation with you and I'm really happy it's finally happening now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, happy too because I've been very curious about the whole idea. I think it's good what you're doing because then we can reach out to each other without traveling. I think that's very nice.
1: Yeah, that's definitely the technologies is uh, uh, one of the tools that gives us a lot of possibilities to, to be connected and to reach out and to find out uh, about each other. Other stories. And I know you have a very rich dance experience and dance journey, but I'm curious to start from the very beginning. I know you start dance practice very young, but you had training in different dance styles throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I will jump to start the conversation. I'll jump to the moment. Do you remember when was the first time you got idea to try ballet dance?
0: Actually, I, I didn't plan this at all.
1: Because um, I started as a
0: child with ballet and later did um, also some modern and tap dance. And I just, when I was in the school for stage dance, I needed a, a job at the side. And and the newspaper, I saw an ad that says, dancer wanted for oriental dance show, no experience necessary, and I thought, oh, that's me. Next <laughs> That's me. So I called and it turned out uh, it was a Turkish male dancer who could not get jobs in the Turkish community because they said, ah, um, we don't want a gay male. So he thought, okay, let's, let let me find a um, dance partner and then I will get the job. So. His name was Undertama, Tama and I was the funniest person. He said, okay, I give you private classes, I teach you a choreography, and I had no ideas about Jimmy or anything, so I went there every day at 11, and every day at 11, he just woke up. Huh. <laughs> he said, tomorrow I will be awake and on time, but only today, so I had to wait an hour for him to regain consciousness, because he had been in clubs all night, so then... I got my private, and he never explained anything. When I asked how exactly do you do that, he said, yeah, you just practice. But practice what? He didn't know because he was a natural dancer, and he had no training himself. And then I remembered that frustration later, and I thought, I'm never gonna do this to people. (laughs) And then I don't know how to explain it. And this is how it started. Unfortunately, after the first, the very first show we had on the stage was already um, accidental, like no accidents, but that was a very big show televised on national TV with Nina Hagen and uh, really um, famous people, and done by um, a movie director, Rosa von Braunheim, who was famous for gay movies. So this is how we got in there, because he was... And that was my first experience, staring, coming out, shaking with fear, staring at the TV cameras. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was a very interesting experience. Um, yeah, that was my beginning. So I, I didn't plan it, I just looked for a job and then um, as I was running around looking for a book, because I love to read, I went into an Arabic bookstore, actually an Egyptian bookstore, it was called Papyrus and they had uh, Um Kasum playing, and this is actually where my interest started. I heard that music, and all my hair on my arms came up, I was so I thought, ah, that feeling, I thought I know what the words are, although I didn't speak a word of Arabic, so I bought this music, and I said, do you have more? And they said, yes, I have more, so I would go back and buy more and more. And this is actually how I wanted to learn more about this dance, because mm. I thought to express what I feel, this is interesting to me.
1: And how was your further uh, training dance journey uh, evolved?
0: Well, unfortunately, Erna broke his leg because he was uh, run. He was uh, in a little uh, place where he had something to eat. And they were playing Turkish music, and again, he just jumped up and danced and broke his leg. So that finished our (laughs) working together because he was in the cast. And I tried to find classes and there was one teacher in Berlin at this time only. And um, yeah, I I did learn something but there was also no real explanation. And Mm -hmm. um, I was in dance school so it was like you go one and a half hours ballet, one and a half hours jazz, this, this, this. So every day, something. And then there, suddenly, it's like after an hour, everybody sits down and had tea. And I thought, Jesus, my muscles get cold. Drink the tea afterwards. I wanted to do the class, you know, like a class and not like a gathering. So I was a bit frustrated. And then she said, well, I'm going to Sweden to live in an ashram here, teach my classes. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I don't know enough. So finally, I went... um, through Bert Baladin, who used to come to Berlin. I went to California to Rakata Festival. He said um they wanted to teach there. And I thought, okay, the deal was if I teach two classes, I can take all the classes I want, which were nine days, which I did. They all thought I'm crazy this <laughs> crazy foreigner like coming and taking all classes. But I really needed to learn something and I learned technique, but um I was waiting for that same feeling, like the music in the bookstore. And I didn't have the same feeling like in this um music. And so finally I uh, had a friend who said, I'm going to Cairo, do you want to come with me? I said, yeah, I'm coming. And there um, she was the girlfriend of a guy who had a tourism company between Germany and Egypt, and he took us to all the nightclubs. And bingo, 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 that was finally, um, that was exactly the feeling that I had been looking for. And I tried to take classes there, which was at this time a bit difficult. I had classes with Hassan, absolutely same thing again. Be in the nightclub of the hotel where you are at 11 in the morning. I was there, who wasn't there was Hassan. <laughs> he was every day two hours late. And... Since I didn't sleep, because all night I was in nightclubs, staring at dancers, sleeping for hours, waiting for Hassan to show up and then go to the tailor. So after this week of Cairo, I had to sleep for like 20 hours. (laughs) But um, I I started to learn more. And then uh, in Frankfurt, Dietlinde started to bring Egyptian teachers to Germany, so I could just fly there as an hour flight. And take classes there. And from then on, I went like sixty-four times or so to Cairo and took a lot of classes and went through many, many um, interesting experiences. You, you learn a lot, um, not only steps, but a lot, lot of other things. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't miss it because it gives me a better view over the dance.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there is so much right now in my mind that I want to tap and ask uh, fr- from uh, already this uh, uh, part of your story. You mentioned earlier that people start asking you to teach and even invited to international events way before you felt comfortable and you had you felt like you have proper experience to actually teach. What do you think was the key that actually attracted? other people that obviously at that time you were a very young dancer uh, but people still were really wanting to the point to like you know uh, give you the whole package of festivals for teaching a couple classes or even invite on the international like teachers stage what do you think in your opinion was uh, um, attractive and uh, different uh, that caught people's attention
0: i think it was um, that people thought and they like the, the performance so they assumed I can teach them that at the beginning it took me quite a while to use my um, dance education the system how they would break down movement and teach us there to transform this to oriental dance because it's a different dance but and um, the system of um, dissecting a movement explaining a movement and building how you build a class I try to use this Long experience that I had um, to for the Oriental dance technique, and at the beginning I was always totally overprepared. Um, I wanted to teach too much in too short of a time because I wanted to give, but then um, then I was not happy because that was my mistake at the beginning teaching too fast. Um, because to me it was easy, so I assumed it's easy for everybody. But no, people are different, and you have to see immediately how, where somebody is and pace the class so that it suits this, the people who are in this class. And that was something I had to learn. I remember one student saying to me, if you do one more class in this tempo, I never come back. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I take the final warning. So I learned how to see what the people need. Um, it took me a while to have a very good rhythm and class that everybody gets something out of it, may they be advanced or not so advanced. So that was something I had to learn. In the United States, too, because I remember my first rakasa in California, in, in San Francisco, I was so used from the dance school that you put on your leotard before you teach and afterwards it's ready You take it off. I went to the changing room and took off my clothes and I looked around. <laughs> it was the only naked person there with boobs out. Because in America, they are all already coming ready dressed and ne- nobody undresses. Whereas in Berlin, it was very normal. You know, a lot of half naked or naked people changing dance, sweaty dance clothes was normal. They didn't expect to sweat number one. <laughs> Conversation stopped the changing room, they all went like, she has her boots out. This is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, okay, um, next time I better come ready dressed and I leave like this. I also did too much. After 20 minutes, they're all going huffing and puffing. They're like, um, it, it was more an event. I understood that later. Um, American people have an amazing talent to have fun. I must say, really to enjoy life and to have fun. And I was too German, like, you have to achieve a goal. And then I realized they are right. Life is also, you should have fun too. You can learn something and have fun. So This is what I learned there.
1: <laughs> I also wonder if this, uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned this comment about uh, uh, change rooms, because uh, uh now remembering, like, different experience in different, like, countries, I was like, yeah, that's actually true, but I wonder if it was uh, something like, uh, cultural, like, from country to country, or it was just also because of different dance styles, because in many countries, ballet dance is more portrayed uh, to general audience, uh, like, I mean, not professional dancers, but in general, students who come as more social thing, uh, like, gathering, community, and more relaxed, rather than for instance, like ballet or some other um disciplines that are more about discipline literally or and like working out, uh, because I also noticed a lot of um, students when I was living in Canada, they already come uh dressed up for the class, like only to put hip scarf and, and ready to go. and I remember in uh like Ukraine even. Uh, Then I was starting, that was not the case. Everyone was actually changing. But recently, recent years that I noticed a lot of people coming for workshops and classes, also already dressed up. They just need to take shoes off, put scarf and go. (laughs) It's interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I had the same experience. Um, Because of that, I got myself really, really nice dance clothes. So I can wear them (laughs) going in already. The best ones I got in Italy. We were at Jamsin Festival several times in in Sicily from Susara Papalardo. And she has two vendors there that make the most wonderful, like only Italian can. You know, I love lots of color and strong colors and you can get this there and nice um, uh, patterns and stuff. So I'm set now. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I have stuff that I can wear and I look okay on the street and, and you just put on something on the hips and different shoes and off I go. So I learned that too.
1: <laughs> well, but in any case, you already give a little warning to people. Whoever comes to your class, maybe have a, a set of change clothes afterwards because you may not want to enjoy going back home in a sweaty <laughs> training outfit.
0: <laughs> I always have a second t-shirt. If this is sweaty and it's disgusting to keep it on, that at least I can change that. <laughs> yeah, I've never... Um, and I, I, I mean, it's just not me to do a class for fun only. I want to be funny in class because I think people who laugh a lot, they learn easier. You know, if they have a good time, they learn easier. But make no mistake, I want to achieve something in every class. And most people who come, they come for this. And when they come somewhere where it's more a social gathering, they're sort of restless. Um, I mean, the social gathering can be afterwards, you know, we can go out afterwards or meet sometimes like once a month or something, but in the class, I mean business. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Also regarding your first teaching experience, do you remember if there was any specific topic that people requested you to teach or they kind of gave you freedom to choose and they just wanted you to teach something?
0: It was interesting. In the beginning years, nobody would ask for anything. Mm-hmm. And Also, if you invited the teacher for a workshop, you would just say Bobby Farrar comes or Bert Baladin and nobody asked what they were teaching. Wouldn't, they just wanted to study with that person. And then at one point they said, okay, I want you to teach here 10 months from now. Tell me exactly what you teach when. And I'm like, I don't know. I had to Uh, structure that more, because I would always teach what would touch me most, the music that touched me most at that particular moment. And I thought, how do I know how I feel in 10 months or 12 months from now? But it's this change that people ask more for certain subjects. Um, while everybody wanted choreography, even they had no idea what the content was, the, the single movement, They just wanted the choreography, uh, even if they couldn't do it. And I always felt like, I think we should do technique and then choreography. And if we can't make a whole choreography, rather do less but understand it. 999, for several years, people got tired of this because they had 20 choreographies and they couldn't do one of them properly. And then the questions came like, oh, could you explain the technique? And then I could offer like certain subjects. Um, like certain rhythms or certain groups of movements and make special combinations or small choreographies for that so you can practice but but if you understand every beat of the chain and then you put it together in the choreography like a chain but you know each little beat, you know what it is
1: yeah this is so important speaking of your own training And transformation and going from one dance style to another because you have you had a very strong ballet background ballet and jazz background before you even tried to do ballet dance what was the most uh, difficult uh, or challenging difference to overcome to come from one dance style dance class to another was it in this system of teaching that you talked about or was it maybe in the technique or maybe it's something completely different or maybe there was nothing like that at all
0: <laughs> actually it was only difficult to find proper teachers at the time um, the transition from ballet to oriental was very easy for me because um, shaking my behind came very natural <laughs> and my hips were always loose. I remember when I was three, I got my first spanking for shaking my little popo outside in the street. And My mother had red high heels and I had a little necklace of wooden beads and my mother also had a hat, a sun hat. And I went to the kitchen and took the hat, my necklace and her high heels, but I was wearing nothing else because it was very hot. And I went outside, the street, and I took some grapes from the kitchen. I held them on my head, and I was shaking my poupou singing La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha, and I didn't know what it was. I just thought I thought it's so I'm doing a great show. And my father came home, saw this, and I got spanked. And my popo hurt. and I thought, why? My show was great. I don't understand what his problem is. So my first spanking was for shaking my behind. So. This did not help. <laughs> now I'm shaking my behind for a living. So that was, wasn't so difficult. For Horace this was very hard because his hips were very tight and at the beginning his shimmy was more like a cramp. He hadn't, although probably also because his career was much more in ballet. So his, if every day for so many hours you hold your pelvis tight, then somebody says, let it go it's more difficult. For him, this took longer. For me, it was quite natural.
1: Yeah, that's why I also was uh, interested in this, because in ballet, it's uh, very different body control, and it's way more, uh, I can't say tense, but it's more, uh, I guess what I said in control, it's the most appropriate one, like that you have to keep everything under control. And in ballet dance, you often need to let it go. So, we do have control, of course, but it's a lot also about trying to relax. And especially for people who get like tensed not even from ballet, but in general from life how many people come with tensed hips or tensed chests? Uh, it's very difficult to let it go, but especially who, for someone who also had a ballet training on top of that, it can be very. Different transition, but it's interesting that it also depends literally on the person because It's not about specific styles of ballet or training. It's also about uh, uh, Natural, I guess uh, Structure and feeling in the body
0: I think so because in, in ballet, you just hold different muscle groups And um, in oriental you still have to do that but you have to have a fast exchange to relaxing it. I, I found the classical training very, very helpful as far as sense of direction and structure goes, and, and the posture helps you for turns and many things. If you don't have that training, it's very hard. In our teacher and dancer training, um, this is for two years, and it's ten days uh, each semester, so two semesters per year and each of these 20 days per year starts with a ballet class or with floor bar, so that you have a very simple at the beginning, because some people never had ballet. But it gives them a sense of structure and how do arms and legs go together, because sometimes you get this, you know, this W for wrong arms, (laughs) that are sort of parked in mid-air and forgotten, Um, so that there is a clear connection from the shoulder to the arm the leg that this is harmonious and not um, it doesn't happen by itself but that you have a certain plan where, where arms go mm-hmm. <laughs> and turning and many things are so much easier. The balance on half point you know is mm-hmm. so much easier.
1: What was also if at all anything that you possibly borrowed from um, education system strainers
0: of a class you know mm-hmm. how to start the warm-up the single movement the diagonal combination across the floor center that was very helpful to use these methods of structuring a class uh, for oriental dance. because I, I remember at the beginning every teacher that everybody just stood on a spot and this is where they stayed all class long and I thought this is not dancing, we are not rooted to the spot, we have to learn how to use the space. Um, I was always teach diagonals, and I remember sometimes a girl came in um, from another city for a class and afterwards she cried, and I said, why are you crying, was I such a horrible teacher? She says, no, I've been studying for three years, I've never done a diagonal, now I realize all that I have missed, that I always stood on one place, and these things have changed a lot. I think the teaching has become so much better. I I think right now our problem in the dance is not so much the structure and the teaching and the technique, because there are so many teachers out there with very good technique. I think now it's that we don't all look the same. What I really liked going to Egypt was that I saw the then divas, Nagwa, Fua, Suhazati, Mona Said. I saw them and each one had her very own style and they were very proud of this. Now everybody looks the same, more or less. You know, not everybody, but so, so many. A while, Mm -hmm. everybody wanted to look like Randa. I love Randa, but if I have a choice, I want to see her and not the 250th copy of her. I prefer the original and I don't want my students to look like me. I want to give them the freedom of the technique and all the surrounding knowledge that they can explore their own creativity. And this, I think at the moment, this is a little bit a problem that all um, some movements are like ubiquitous and I think that's boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even if the technical quality is high, if the artistic quality of true authentic expression is not there. This is a bit boring, but I think, I hope this will overcome that too. The dance is always developing, so at one point, you know, what I really, one of my things that I never put in anything is this thing with a head, you know, it looks like you have an orthopedic um, emergency <laughs> to crack your neck. This is, This is just too much. If you do it once, it's interesting. Twice, okay. And after the third or fourth time, it's like, please stop. And I've sat through many hours of being judged, and it's it's interesting. But if you do one thing too much, it's just too much. You know, it's like food. You don't want everything hot or everything sweet. Nice, done
1: yeah the experience of dance competitions that sometimes go for six eight nine twelve hours and yeah. uh, it's quite a different experience even to be the audience member or to be a judge. you have to be concentrated and then at some point especially if dancers they are not much invested in developing their own style but they're just like okay this is choreography sometimes Ordered mm-hmm. from the same teacher or choreographer who created for multiple students, or they're trying to imitate, thinking that oh, if I look like that dancer, it it will give me better scores, or etc. Then for judges, it's extra level of uh, okay. I need to be focused. I need to be focused because at some point it indeed start looking all just the same.
0: Yeah, I I. I always took this kind of work very serious because I know with how much uh, anxiety many dancers go into this and how how personal they take this. So I would always make many notes um, that sometimes I would maybe meet somebody and could tell her something that is just for her, some some little thing you know to help her on her way. And actually, I don't think it's so bad if they dance the same choreography, then you can compare the technique even better. But I know what you mean. It's, um, I mean, being a judge in a, in, in a contest, the contests have changed the whole dance scene a lot. Also the music. I mean, the, at the very beginning, there were the music in Cairo, they would play 10 minutes before the dancer even came out. And now they play three minutes, and the dancer's in, out, and goodbye. (laughs) And, of course, this comes from the contest. If you feel you have to show everything in three or four or five minutes, then the dancing becomes more hectic, you know, which is not in the music, but you feel like you have to show so much.
1: Yes, it definitely comes from competition, contest, but it also still comes from just commercializing this industry a bit more. So even if it's not contest, even if it's just a showcase, but you have, I don't know, 100 dancers who came to your festival and they all want to perform, you cannot play 10 minutes or 15 minutes for each of them. You have to card. Regardless, is it a contest or is it not a contest?
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, if you have like an open stage where all the um, participants can perform, they cannot each do 10, 15 minutes, this would take a whole week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, at RACASA at the time being in San Francisco, I think the limit was something like 7 or 8 minutes per dancer. And it would go on for three days, from morning to evening. So, And there was never a dull moment you would see everything from the fabulous to the grotesque. <laughs> I remember a couple and um, they were obviously not dancers and the lady was quite heavy and their end post was that he was on the knee and she would sit on his knee and lean back and she did and they both fell backwards, over backwards because <laughs> he just couldn't hold her weight. It was just too much and far from being embarrassed they laughed. And I thought it was really very charming because it went so kaput, <laughs> the end was, but they, they took it with such good humor that they got extra applause. <laughs> ah, that's <laughs> now so cool. Now they put this in the show forever so that they both fall on the floor again. But it was really interesting to see. And I, I learned also a lot of um, how to dissect styles and music from different countries because I was always wondering why do they mix all all styles and props that don't be together and then I realized the US is like a melting pot. People came from all over of the world and each brought their own culture and sort of got mixed, whereas in Germany you're very close to Egypt and you don't know anything else. So it's very easy to keep the styles apart and I realized that's um, why some things were labelled um, wrongly or... It's just that the musicians at the very beginning... Bert told me about it, Bert Ballet, and he said that they would come from all kinds of countries and each brought their own music and the dancers would, um, like with flamenco, they would be on the stage play finger cymbals or rick or tambourine and each had their turn and they would just practically learn from each other. And this is how it got mixed. I thought that's very interesting how um, art develops when people come together from different countries.
1: It's also fascinating how ballet dance, it's so embracing for not only cultures, but different people and not only nationalities, but literally approaches. We have professional dancers who are freaking out about each detail and who did perfect performance, but they come off stage and they beat themselves because they they think it was so bad. And we also have people who do obviously like uh, mistakes that for someone will be like embarrassing or anything like that, but then they laugh and they find joy of just being, being on stage, having opportunity to perform, to do those mistakes, whatever, whatever it is. But they are approaching it not from the, uh, like let's say work point of view. Oh, it has to be mm-hmm. like perfect. But they just approach it as an experience and having fun and joy. And that's uh, that's really cool that we have space for all those realities let's say <laughs> of yeah the it's spectrum. <laughs>
0: good to mix the two the one who can laugh off a mistake and the one who really tries to do their best but i mean i think as far as an audience member or jury member i always found the dancers the most appealing that obviously enjoyed themselves even if their technique was not the highest but it's easy on the eye. You know, the, you must never forget um, the feeling as a, um, the, the feeling of the emotion of the dance or the spiritual side of the dance. If, if somebody is happy, I love to watch them. Even if they do five movements perfect only, but they are harmonious and beautiful rather than somebody that does 50 and looks like mm, the face and the fist from the stress of it. So I think it's good to enjoy Mm. life and dance, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking about life, uh, you briefly uh, mentioned uh, your partner Horatio already in his training journey. Can I ask what's the story of you meeting together and coming together into (laughs) Belodance?
0: I saw him the first time when I was in San Francisco, at this very first time when I was invited to Rakata. and he came to me after I performed, and he said, that was really good, and I was like, uh, 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 because I was so impressed by him. I thought, wow, he was just the kind of guy that I liked and that you don't find in Germany, like this tall, brown person. I thought, oh, how beautiful. And I behaved so strange that he thought, well, she dances well, but she's a bit crazy. So the next two years when I came, he didn't talk to me, he just watched me dancing because I thought a bit cuckoo. And then we met again at a workshop in San Francisco um, done by Bobby Farrar, who was from New York and was really a fabulously spirited um, teacher. And we were in the same workshop, and at one point he said, okay, stop everybody, Beata and Horata, you come front to demonstrate. And we danced the choreography together, and I thought, oh God, this felt good. I wonder what else would feel good with this guy. And I, got, I was really timid with him at the beginning. I didn't speak, and he came, I asked him, I said to him, I think you should come to Germany. People need to see how you dance. Because we didn't have any dancers like this here. no male dancers, and barely any women. So I organized a tour for him. And he said to me, Well, before I tour Germany, um, I'm every summer I'm on Hawaii, um, on the big island and I'm working there teaching a week long and then I have a show in a really nice theater with 400 seats, pretty nice little theater. Do you want to come? And I'm like, Hawaii. And he said, I show you the islands. I thought, Of course, I'm coming. So I arrived with two huge suitcases full of lingerie, bathing stuff and costumes. And Then after the show, we went to a nightclub and they gave us all these, you know, flower um, lace, they're Mm -hmm. called, you know, with the flowers and they smelled so divine and boom, we kissed and I thought I'm gonna (laughs) faint. And this is how it started. And three weeks later, he was in Germany and and we got engaged. I didn't know him at all. (laughs) That's (laughs) quite a story. (laughs) Yeah, that was really strange and because he didn't plan to ask me he just asked in the middle of the night in cologne after a show and i said yes and then we looked at each other like Uh-oh, what happened and he didn't even have a ring because he didn't plan it and then before he left he bought a ring in berlin and said better put this on your finger before anybody else uh, interferes here and i said to him well i have to be engaged for one year my grandmother told me it's proper to be engaged for one year also I didn't know this guy! So we waited almost a year to get married. Then we got married in San Francisco in the Conservatory of Flowers, which was really romantic. And, um, yeah, I, I was pretty uh, quiet at the beginning, which is unusual for me. Um, but this has stopped now. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how we met. this was whirlwind. I mean, every, many people said this is never going to uh, work and how can you get married? You don't know each other. Well, it's now 30 years and we're still together. So
1: it has worked. <laughs> wow. That, what a story. Um, How was your first do it that you actually planned to do together? Because your very first one was unplanned in someone else's choreography. But I'm curious, what was your experience that you actually started working together and you decided to do first performance together?
0: Well, we prepared for the theater in Hawaii and then for the tour in Germany. And we had a rehearsal together in San Francisco before I left to go home. And then when... um, I came back, we rehearsed again, and then in the airplane to Hawaii, we went to where there is a little spot where they pass out rings, and we kept marking the choreography there, because we didn't have so much time, and we wanted to get the arms exact, you know, the position of the arms, so we, we really looked exact. And I think it worked. And I went to the same tailor that he had in San Francisco. Her name was Sandra Woodle. She would work for the San Francisco Opera House. So her approach was very different to costuming. And I thought that's interesting for, of course, my costumes were all from Cairo, but then Horace didn't have anything from Cairo. So I went and got something from the um, costume designer in San Francisco. And later, then he came with me to Cairo and we went to Madame Avla and we said to her, he wants the same costume like me and they were laughing because they thought it's a joke and said, no, no, I'm not joking. <laughs> he really wants a costume. And then um, they didn't want to look at him, you know, but we have to look at him and Madame Abla really enjoyed her time-taking measure and everybody else, <laughs> the girls who bring the dababit, you know, the safety pins, they would come like this and, and cover hand the you know, <laughs> one hand over the eyes and not to look at his chest and... I thought, look, you might never see something pretty as that again. Just never mind But they were very shy. They didn't. Mm. I think maybe they secretly teach, but they acted like, no, 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 we are not looking. <laughs> so this is how it started later. Then um, we met Amira El-Khatan, who is um, Egyptian but with an American passport, has lived in and says she is an um, international designer, so she understood. And... And at one point, then we had. Um, I have a friend who is a fantastic um, tailor. She's from Ukraine, um, and she has. Uh, she worked for great people like Wolfgang Youpp, and and now she's working for um, the movies here in, in Ufa and Potsdam, Babelsberg. And she made my costumes in my designs in Horace City in embroidery, So this is like haute couture. Yeah.
1: Hmm. You
0: can't get that anywhere.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing uh, such an amazing uh, story of both meeting and start working uh, together and continuing. That's fascinating. And uh, um, that's uh, a great also example of uh, how destiny and fate can bring two people together. And even uh, despite all odds, they can be together for like already 30 years. And uh, that's, that's really a fascinating story. <laughs> Thanks for sharing.
0: Yeah, my
1: pleasure. I also wanted to ask uh, before we slowly start closing up, but I have to talk about this because you so much uh, um, talked about music, your love to music, how you fell in love with unkar Kalsum, and then how in later in America you got uh, um, inspired by this different. Uh, how you, you said, it's a melted pot that brings uh, all different like culture styles and music styles all together. But then eventually you also start producing your own music. Mm-hmm. So when the when and how the idea of your first CD came to life?
0: Well, Horasi had already produced two in, in San Francisco with Reda Darvish and his musicians. So he was not a stranger to the idea. And it happened because we would uh, create whole evening programs and that would travel around the world for one or two years to many places. And you couldn't at this time find all the music you wanted. And then if you want to videotape the performance, if it's not your music, maybe you have a problem with the um, person who owns the rights to the music. They don't let you put it on a video and stuff. Or mostly it was that we didn't find everything we wanted, so we made a plan what we need, then we went to Cairo and talked to a composer and commissioned music, and we came back like two or three times, until um, first you have like a skeleton, the notes, and, and everything is on a synthesizer, and then you hear the music and then you can work on it with the composer, you can say, okay, this is... One ate too much of this, uh, too much repetition here, he needs a different instrument, he needs more like transition like this, like that, and the other one, this is done, he rewrites the music and then for the recording, um, it takes a long time because, you know, first all the violins and the soloists and then the drummers and stuff, or singers and the mixing, it takes a long time. So what we had then, exactly what we wanted. You know, like every two years, I had a new emergency that was made for me, and all the extra songs that we needed for the show, because the show has to have like many different aspects to not be boring, so that even the husbands of the dancers are not bored. Mm. <laughs> that from the show business view, it's a good mix of things, and not only Oriental dancers you can do shimmies and hip drops the whole night they don't mind, but for a normal public, you have to also have an interesting um, um, order of things. And, and this is what, that's why we went and had our own music made. Mm.
1: Among all CDs that you have produced so far, which one was the most challenging to put and create out of the world?
0: Well, it depended always on the composer who was in charge. Um, the first two were done by a, a very nice gentleman who, unfortunately, when he was commissioned with the third one and already had the deposit, he died. So we thought, oh crap, 2,000 euro gone. Um, but the family was very nice; they returned the money because he couldn't finish the work. And then the next composer had a very, very greedy wife. <laughs> we're constantly going in the background like. Charge them more, they're foreigners, they're foreigners. And that went to a point of stress, um, that sometimes I thought I don't want to deal with this anymore. And the postman
1: comes, you can hear the dogs barking. <laughs> I and, thought they reacted um, on your story about stress and the <laughs> <other> It's <laughs> the post, they're
0: screaming for the post. And the next one was one that used was never actually a composer, but a musician. And then at the end, like in the middle of the night when we were our uh, last night, he didn't give us the master. He said, I want 4,000 pounds extra. I thought, I'm just gonna kill that guy. So I went to the bathroom and let cold water run over my wrist because I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to kill the guy. And then I went back. And after five minutes I said, I'm going to kill the guy. It doesn't matter. So we called Amira El-Khatan, who one brother has one brother who's a lawyer, and he talked to him, so he did give us the master to the agreed price of the contract. And then we had to run back to the hotel, pack in half an hour and check out and go to the airport. and we were in a taxi. And the guy wrote, went to the wrong airport, you know, to the domestic, not the international. We were late already. So we said, no, 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 this is the wrong terminal. And he went on the highway. So he went on the wrong direction. And we all, I mean, we almost got killed, but we made the plane <laughs> on time. So this was a very stressful experience. Mm. And later with Ahmed el Fatah, it was so much easier because... I mean, also much more expensive than any Egyptian would pay because they always think foreigners have more money, which is really wrong because the dancers in Egypt, like Dina, and so they would make a lot of money compared to European dancers. But if you wanted a certain quality, we just had to deal with it. I mean, at the time being, also, the music sold very well, so the money did come back. Although some people sold our music and made a lot of money, and that was, that was really, considering what we had to do to get this music, the many nights, you have no idea the millions of things that are like obstacles, that was really not fun. So I felt like not so much the money, but my effort, my input, that I would sit there and talk about each eight counts and the transition. And Ahmed one time said to me, God, I'm going to... I hire you as quality control, you hear everything, because I say, oh, man, Matt, in this little transition, there's this and there's that, and he say, okay, 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 I know, I know. So you wanted to hire me as quality control. <laughs> but if you put in so much effort and then somebody just feels it, it's really frustrating.
1: Yeah, I imagine. It has
0: happened a lot. In they how- must all roast in hell now.
1: And how is the situation on the music scene right now? Because uh, when you start producing CDs, it was more physical, tapes, CDs, uh, distributing through workshops or maybe through some stores. Now the situation really changed with digital downloads, with streaming platforms, Mm -hmm. iTunes, Spotify, etc. So how... uh, Is it easier to do music business or is it more difficult with all those... Things, uh, technologies—is uh, it opportunities um, or obstacles now?
0: I think, yeah. I think it's fairly easy. Um, we, we have all the music as download on our website, and also um, with what um, I think—I'm not sure. I think some some from iTunes, some company also has it, and then there's just a regular um, time they just tell you what they sold. Um, but it's more difficult in the sense like um, when you had, I mean, the slapping of the CDs or the shipping, that was not fun, but uh, it's so much easier online, but then on the other hand, if you don't travel, people don't know that this music exists. Um, When they're in a workshop and you use the music, um, they feel like, oh yeah, I want to have that music. Whereas if, if you just have the fabulous music, but you're not there, so people don't get reminded of it. It's harder to sell, so um, I, that's why on the YouTube clips I always write exactly which music it is. So if people want it, they can have it. And um, also if somebody else's music that they know what it is, so they can download it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a lot less schlepping, but it's less money. Let's say less effort and less money.
1: Mm, yeah, that's the. Always oh, two sides of the same medal. Yeah. <laughs> something easier but something more difficult.
0: <laughs> yeah, some people who are still producing music like Mohammed Shaheen, he also said that he forbids it to being sold in certain countries because he knows that people steal and so he and he's he's also pretty frustrated. Mm-hmm. Because he's made fabulous music and then in China or Russia it just gets stolen and, and sold big time and that's very frustrating if you put so much heart into this work because this is not something that happens online. You have to really sit there. Like one time the solo violin was a different one than I expected and I had to record it all again because I didn't like his violin. Ahmed said, are you crazy? I said, no, his violin has a rough sound. I want the other guy who's, he has a very special violin. The beautiful sound, the, the instrument itself is great. And he, But this is throwing out so much money, I said yes, maybe, but and I have to dance to this for a long time and I don't want to feel angry every time I hear this violin. I want to feel inspired and uplifted and feel like I can fly with this music and enjoy my innermost feeling on stage. And he said, okay, let's bring in the other violin, and then we did it again. So, if you put in so much of your own effort in it, then it's painful. But, I mean, this was just a time where things like that happened. I think the awareness of people who buy is a little bit better now.
1: Yeah, and it's also important to keep reminding that, uh, okay, you may think you're lucky to get uh, this song somewhere for free from someone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but at the end, uh, without supporting actual, like, official music producers, the source, we're basically cutting the branch that we are sitting on, and uh, uh, because we are preventing them not giving opportunities to create even more. And your music is definitely one of so much inspiring uh compositions You you have so many, and I'm sure that many dancers heard a lot of songs, but they may not realize that they are coming exactly. from your cities
0: yes, many so, people they bought it got knows for, and they don't know whose music that actually is,
1: yeah, so I definitely recommend highly everyone to check uh. Uh, Your CDs, you said you have information on your website and there are some uh, on like iTunes, Spotify to check out uh, compositions. And then uh, I'm exactly sure 100% that everyone who is listening right now, us uh, definitely will find lots of compositions that will really inspire and that they will fall in love uh, from your production. And also keep reminding that even if by some chance, because there are many different situations at festivals, people distribute musics, uh, someone may find on YouTube, etc. but always go see where the song comes from and go and just support the producer. Like And so on iTunes, it's so easy right now to purchase like, even if it's not the whole CD, just that one song, it's like what? $1.99? $1 yeah, one <laughs> yeah, we do the
0: same on the webpage of our homepage. You can... Download only one song. You don't have to take the whole CD. So, if, like the most popular things, like certain majnesees and certain umkazums you can just get this one song. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I notice who has been teaching to it, because suddenly from one place, um, ten people download the same song in one day. Then, aha, somebody's been teaching to it. It's funny.
1: Yeah, no, but it's it's also great and cool Then teachers are conscious, like, okay, even if you decide to teach, which is great, like creating something, choreography, dance to it, but, like, do not just spread around because the music itself is not your work. Give information and point to the source so that people, that's also kind of like a great support also for music producers because then you have a bunch of people at the same time like uh, going and purchasing the song and it's spreading information it also helps and I, I do believe really that it's important because without music how can we really yeah, dance and so many dancers right. yeah so many dancers fall in love with ballet dance because they heard music
0: <laughs> right right
1: well speaking of uh uh sources and information can you tell please our listeners where they can follow uh, your journey your current events do you have any favorite i don't know maybe social media place or maybe website where you post uh, most updates and and things like where should people find more information about uh what is going on and what's coming up (laughs)
0: I think um, I do a lot of Instagram just to post clips and to get some attention so when I want to announce something that it's like to uh, have to meet more people but I mean it's also on the web page. it's I, I always come prefer my computer because the screen is bigger and the pictures are bigger and more colored and on the handy everything's so small. I mean, convenient to quickly look at everything that's happening. And if you post something on Instagram it automatically comes out on Facebook. So, it's, I mean, I do this, I'd rather be teaching or dancing actually, but this is sort of like a homework uh, that you have to do like almost every day, a little something. But I'm not my, I have to admit myself, I'm not a person who sits and and looks a lot. I look quickly, and if I know somebody, I'm happy to see what they're doing because it's then at least I know what certain people I know are doing, so I don't have to call them and ask, and oh, they're doing this and that and the other, and um, it's a way of keeping in touch without the other person even knowing that knowing that, but. Um, I think I could easily live without this. But then in earlier times you had to pay for very expensive advertising. You know, in all the magazines in the United States in Denmark in Germany, everywhere you had to pay a lot of money. Now you don't pay a lot of money for advertising, but you have to pay in time, Mm -hmm. with your own time. But, I mean, I have a rhythm now, so to do a little bit something every day, Mm -hmm. it's okay.
1: And do you currently teach any online classes so for students who are not in your local area?
0: Well, all that we have since um, the lockdown, we, we within four days, uh, learned how to use Zoom. And then we got all this equipment, huge screens and cameras and 50 million little boxes and device and cables and... Um, Everything we do also can, is being done online at the same time. Mm -hmm. I have, for instance, um, we teach only two um, classes per week, Oriental, which is on Wednesday, um, because we have a lot of children ballet. The interest here in Germany went pretty much down, but that's a normal thing. Each dance has its season where it's very, very popular. We had uh, while we had two studios, or we had a studio with two dance rooms, and there were classes every day, every day, every day, every day. Now it's very different. We moved out from Berlin right actually before the lockdown. Thank God, because the Berlin studio would have killed us financially if you can't teach and you have to pay that enormous rent. Now we are in Beelitz and we have a huge studio. It's a very very old house from 1909 with five meter high ceilings and. It's fabulous, with huge windows, I always, it's a little bit like uh, my Yinsky training ballet rooms, it's fabulous, it's huge, and it has very old, creaky wooden floor. So we're there, and so not many Berliners come, we have people from Switzerland or Spain, or one girl who lives in Cairo, they always come, uh, stop by by Zoom. They have the link, and then they just stop by and they do it online. Um, some people are there live and some people online. It's quite convenient if you live somewhere else. And the girl in Cairo, she said, it's so easy for her. Um, no traffic, <laughs> no two hours in the taxi, just turn on the computer and there she is. So some, it's nice to see some people again in class who have I haven't seen in a while because they live somewhere else.
1: Mm -hmm. and is there any upcoming uh, events or news or trips or anything that you would like to share and let our listeners know so they keep an eye on
0: (laughs) well the next workshop is in June in Denmark in Copenhagen this is really fun because it's together with Laura Hovinen and it's uh, organized by Myzena it's a summer um, for three days a summer training with lots of fun in the evening where we just go out and get crazy together, that's always fun. This is really nice because in in Scandinavia people really um, know how to study well, they expect you to be organized and prepared, but they also know how to have fun. And then we have something really interesting in in Beelitz, which is at the end of Berlin, at the south end of Berlin, they have a huge garden show that they opened. And we're doing several performances there. And one night we want to do something special. And we have invited Jana Salenko, who is the first ballerina of the Berlin Ballet, and her husband, Marian Walter. And Jana has been very busy organizing um, um, benefits for Ukrainian dancers. And she also has three sons. I mean, the woman is a powerhouse. And she will be there and then a ballroom couple will be there, actually two of them, a, a tribal group of from Alice Bloom and our Cut Company. These are ladies who have graduated from Cut Certified Academic Training. And they will be there. So it will be interesting because this will be like a normal public, you know, mm-hmm. like not a belly dance public. So to present the oriental dance in the context with other great dancers. So this will this, this is now in July and August to be several performances. I'm looking forward to this. And oh. then my favorite thing in July will be the next start of CUT. I hope this works out because so many dancers um, were afraid of traveling because it was so difficult wearing a mask and for a while it was restricted. And some also said that they have lost so much money because they couldn't perform and they couldn't teach. So we uh, postponed it for one whole semester, and this is going to be the last time, probably, that we we'll teach this because we've been doing this since 2008. This would be the eighth group to start. So far, we have people from Germany. From one lady lives in Germany, but she's definitely not German. I have to ask her where she's from. And one is from Brazil, and some are from Denmark, and we hope to have a really nice group together. They have one lady even came for two years from Tokyo. Can you imagine? Oh, wow. I mean, it's the longest way ever to come. And she went on tour with the company and everything. And she's very dedicated. Only Japanese dancers can be that dedicated. I, mean, I hope this works out well, that we have enough sign-up, because this is one of my favorite things to do. Mm. Because these people are so uh, dedicated. You know, they want to know everything exactly and... It's fun to all the many years of collecting knowledge and experiences to give to give this to the next generation and I, I enjoy that very much.
1: Mm. That sounds like awesome summer plans <laughs> in general. <Yeah. laughs> that's yeah, great. It's not going to be boring this summer. <laughs> well, and definitely for all who listens to us right now, keep an eye on the website announcement and on Instagram announcements to find more information. And who knows, maybe even joining this uh, uh, group uh, group travel to uh, meet in person and study and dance uh, together <laughs> with our amazing guests. That's, that's awesome. And I will definitely include links to your social media, to website, to the show notes. So for all the listeners, you know, it's pretty easy to find info and connect with our our uh, today's guest. And before I ask you our uh, final question, I actually want to thank you for spending your time with us and for sharing so much, so many fun uh, stories uh, that uh, give so much uh, uh, You know, I really love hearing, like, little stories because they give understanding of uh, uh, personality and personality of dance journey, not only of a person, but, like, you know, all those uh, uh, things and uh, progress that uh, dance takes us, especially if it's a a little, like, a lifetime journey that you start dancing in general six what, six years old, like this ballet, but then ballet dance, and uh, uh, it's literally... Part, big part of your life and uh, your, um, I guess, uh, life evolution as a person, too. <laughs> so, thank you for sharing it today with us.
0: <laughs> it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me and thank you for all the friendly
1: interrogation. <laughs> <laughs> you're very welcome <laughs> um, and I know that we of course jumped very like you know from one subject to another and there is so much more to, to talk about but I also want to be mindful of your time and I uh, also want to leave our listeners excited for maybe part two part three in the future <laughs> of our conversation but I would like to um, summarize our today's conversation interview with our traditional questions so I have one question that I ask every single guest at the end of uh, an interview, regardless of what we talked about. Uh, We partially touched this topic, but I would love to hear actual answer to this like specific direct question. And the question is, what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again? So you keep doing it for so many years.
0: I think it's mostly... The music, I always need music that I really like and makes me feel inspired so that I want to express something it. And also being with this group of people, um, I think the dancers have sort of something in common. I don't know, it feels like an extended family. And I love the togetherness feeling when we are together or seeing somebody progress and overcome obstacles because every body part is connected to certain feelings and sometimes the feelings stand in the way of your movement and how when you change the movement you also change how you feel, the feeling. And I love to see the blossoming and and the happiness and to be able to create something like this gives me enormous um, satisfaction. I feel like yeah, I enjoy it for myself, but I also enjoy being able to um, have this for other people. Mm-hmm. So this is something that is never boring.
1: <laughs> That's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who's listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, a meeting place for committed dance enthusiasts of all levels. Most of our members shared that the club, helped them to improve consistency in their training, meet new dance friends, and discover various topics through hundreds of different tutorials. This is definitely a belly dance training that becomes a lifestyle. Learn more at yana danceclub.com, link in the show notes, or simply visit yanadanceclub.com and try for seven days, for free